October 6th. Now, as we turn our attention to the New Testament, our reading today will be from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 8 through 23. Paul wrote to the Colossians, You must never allow anyone to come between you and Christ. In Him is all wisdom and knowledge, and the fullness of God, and you are complete in Him. So why accept a substitute? He urges them, let no one deceive you. Religious systems seem so inviting, and their leaders, of course, are so persuasive. But if you follow them, you will substitute man's ideas for God's truth. So let no one cheat you. Here the thief is man-made philosophy and tradition, pleasing to the world, but rejected by the Lord. October 6th, Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 23. Don't let anyone lead you Colossians astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the evil powers of this world, and not from Christ. For in Christ the fullness of God lives in a human body, and you are complete through your union with Christ. He is the Lord over every ruler and authority in the universe. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. It was a spiritual procedure, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with Him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God, who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross of Christ. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules were only shadows of the real thing, Christ Himself. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on self-denial, and don't let anyone say you must worship angels, even though they say they have had visions about this. These people claim to be so humble, but their sinful minds have made them proud but they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For we are joined together in His body by His strong sinews, and we grow only as we get our nourishment and strength from God. You have died with Christ, and He has set you free from the evil powers of this world. So why do you keep on following rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't eat, don't touch? Such rules? are mere human teaching about things that are gone as soon as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, humility, and severe bodily discipline, but they have no effect when it comes to conquering a person's evil thoughts and desires. Tonight I want to speak to you on a very, very important subject. Certainly, treating the subject of the Lordship of Christ should be a primary study for any believer. There's a sense in which I wish I didn't even have to discuss it from the vantage point that I have to discuss it tonight. 
I want to approach the subject uh, from a, a sort of polemic viewpoint. That is, I'd like to defend the Lordship of Christ against what I believe to be a, a current attack. I think this attack on the Lordship of Christ has been coming for a long time. I remember as a young boy hearing people say often to Christians, I heard preachers say it, speakers, teachers, they would say, you need to make Christ Lord of your life. How many of you heard somebody say that? You need to make Christ Lord of your life. Very, in fact, almost everyone raised their hand. Christ has been my Savior. You hear people give testimony and say, and now I want to make him Lord of my life. Very often uh, we would go to a conference or a retreat or there would be some kind of a special emphasis meeting and people would say, yes, I've been a Christian and uh, Christ has been my Savior, but he's never been Lord of my life. And usually people like that are trying to explain how it can happen that at some time in their life they accepted Christ as Savior and nothing ever changed, basically. That doesn't make sense. When you gave your heart and soul to Christ and submitted and bowed the knee before Him in submissive salvation and yielded your life to Him all under the power of the Spirit of God, you began a life in which He is Lord and progressively your life should be evidencing that obedience to His Lordship. In the book of Acts, you have the apostolic preaching of the cross. In the book of Acts, you have the preaching pattern for the rest of the centuries of the church's life. 92 times in the book of Acts, Jesus is called Lord, two times called Savior. Dominantly, He is Lord. He is Lord. Lordship was at the very heart of gospel preaching in the early church. The very heart of it was affirming his lordship. Peter says in Acts 2, It shall be that salvation comes to everyone who calls on the name of the what? The Lord. The Lord. There's no question about it. It's absolutely every place in the scripture. Believe on the Lord Jesus, Acts 16, 31 to the Philippian jailer, and you shall be saved. You shall be saved. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as what? Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. Unless you acknowledge that fact that He is Lord, you could never be saved in the first place. That is obvious. Withholding the Lordship of Christ from someone, withholding from them the fact that they need to surrender their life to His leading, withholding from them that they need to confess and repent of their sin, is to damn the person to a delusion that they are saved when they're not. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 31. This long psalm reviews the history of Israel, the Exodus, their wilderness journey, the conquest of Canaan, 
and the disciplines God sent them there. A nation's true history is a record not only of how the people treated one another, but of how they treated God. But why the long history lesson? For the sake of the generations to follow. You see, the Jews were commanded to teach their children the works and the ways of the Lord, so that each generation would know the Lord and trust Him. Well, you and I have the same obligation today. When Israel stopped doing this, the nation forsook the Lord, and God had to chasten them. Well, people have not changed. They still rebel against God. There is still a need for faithful instructors in the home and leaders in the nation. So do all you can to help the next generation serve the Lord acceptably. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 31, the Psalm of Asaph. Oh, my people, listen to my teaching. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and know, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children, but will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. We will tell of His power and the mighty miracles He did. For He issued His decree to Jacob. He gave His law to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children, so the next generation might know them. Even the children not yet born, that they in turn might teach their children. So, each generation can set its hope anew on God, remembering His glorious miracles and obeying His commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. The warriors of Ephraim, though fully armed, turned their backs and fled when the day of battle came. They did not keep God's covenant, and they refused to live by His law. They forgot what He had done, the wonderful miracles He had shown them, the miracles He did for their ancestors in Egypt on the plain of Zoan. For He divided the sea before them, and led them through. The water stood up like walls beside them. In the daytime He led them by a cloud, and at night by a pillar of fire. He split open the rocks in the wilderness to give them plenty of water, as from a gushing spring. He made streams pour from the rock, making the waters flow down like a river. Yet they kept on with their sin, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They willfully tested God in their hearts, demanding the foods they craved. They even spoke against God Himself, saying, God can't give us food in the desert. Yes, He can strike a rock so water gushes out, but He can't give His people bread and meat. When the Lord heard them, he was angry. The fire of his wrath burned against Jacob. Yes, his anger rose against Israel, for they did not believe God or trust him to care for them. But he commanded the skies to open. He opened the doors of heaven and rained down manna for them to eat. He gave them bread from heaven. They ate the food of angels. God gave them all they could hold. He released the east wind in the heavens, and guided the south wind by His mighty power. He rained down meat as thick as dust, birds as plentiful as the sands along the seashore. He caused the birds to fall within their camp and all around their tents. 
The people ate their fill. He gave them what they wanted. But before they finished eating this food they had craved, while the meat was yet in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, and he killed their strongest men. He struck down the finest of Israel's young men. Proverbs 24, verse 26. It is an honor to receive an honest reply. Reply.